Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller here with my co-host, fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Bats. Wendy, how are you doing today? I'm great, Marty. How are you? Wonderful. I'm looking forward to today's topic. You and I are always out in the industry, on our Facebook page, getting di direct messages from Instagram, communicating with all of our NASM family. And, you know, there's been a common theme of let's go back to the foundation. I'm not going to use the word basics because we know phase one is not a basic program. It's a foundational type of training. And we're going to jump back in and review phase one today and maybe give a little twist, you know, how we use it. But I think we're going to open some eyes up again, let people see the value of starting in phase one when you're entering the OPT model. Yeah, Marty, and I think you make some very important um, points in that because, you know, when we're reading through stuff, people are like, I don't want to start my clients in phase one because they're, you know, pr professional athletes or they're weekend warriors and they will think it's too easy and too basic and I don't want to lose my clients out of that. When on the, it's actually the contrary, like basically when you're doing an assessment, that assessment will tell you where those clients are showing weakness, overactivity that's causing compensations. Um, Marty, you and I have done this for many, many years. And I think I've only had one client in my entire career that came in that had a pretty good, not even perfect squat, but they had also been working with a trainer for multiple months um, that followed the OPT model. And then when they re um, when they moved, they actually moved closer to me. So that trainer handed them off to me and I continued on their fitness journey utilizing the model. Um, so if you, you know, when we go through this, I want you to kind of take a step back and realize that some of the exercises that we talk about, if you're reading the text, if you're new to NASM and you really want to understand that, you know, why we do the exercises in phase one that we do, why we have those acute variables, it's for a very specific reason. Every one of the names of those phases means it's a specific goal and it takes the body four to six weeks to adapt to whatever new demand you're placing on it. And that does not mean you're doing the exact same exercise over and over and over again. It means you might be doing a, you know, utilizing the neural continuum. It may be that you're changing one dynamic of one particular exercise, which then changes the exercise. But you have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to be creative. You have to be, you know, you have to be innovative. But you also want to make sure that you're following the science behind the whole purpose of a model or the model and each phase that you have your client in. So, when Marty and I constantly see, well, phase one is easy. It's like, well, is it? Because I've been using the model my entire career. And when I go back and go through the model, I still find very, you know, phase one and phase two, probably the most challenging out of every one of them, because I always have some sort of dysfunction that I need to work on. Yeah. Wendy, to your point, you know, I travel a ton and if I'm tired or if I wake up tired and you told me I had a phase one, I'm like, oof. And the reason is, is my central nervous system needs to be very alert to control, you know, time under tension, you know, multiple joints in multiple position. It'd be much easier to sit on a selectorized piece of equipment, let the, uh, you know, the piece of equipment stabilize me and guide the path and just put the pin in and do something heavy. Right. So they all have their purpose. There's nothing wrong with moving weight. But when we say something's hard, we can't, we have to put it on a spectrum like is hard only how much weight you pick up or is hard only how many calories you burn or could hard be how difficult it is to control the simplest movement by not allowing your joints to move out of position, holding that for time under tension, and then going through that neural continuum of 
simple to complex, multiple planes of motion. So we just have to redefine what hard is. Phase one is incredibly challenging, but is great for people who are entering into fitness for a lot of different reasons. But it's just who's in front of you? Where are they on that spectrum of difficulty? But by no means is it hard. It just has a different desired outcome. But like I said, when I'm tired, I'm like, okay, pay attention here because you're going to need to be connected here with everything that's going on in that workout. Yeah. And I think it's important to, you know, Marty, you and I were discussing something that we saw on our Facebook page and, you know, somebody was saying that their client was very, you know, struggling to get low into a squat, but they want to know, you know, why they, you know, when they're utilizing, you know, a bar and having them do the bar, you know, like a, basically a weighted strength exercise, why they can't go very deep. And it's really, okay, take a step back. Did they go through phase one? Are you working on proper range of motion? Do you have good mobility within the joint to therefore have the stability needed for those prime movers to do the work. And if you notice that when you have a client doing something and they're lacking range of motion or all of a sudden a compensation occurs, that's when you need to take a step back as a trainer and find out the reasons why. And I think that's the big thing too. And Marty and I always say, what's your why? What's your purpose? It's about the client. It's not about you. And, and I, I will say that multiple times today because I think it's very, very important to, once again, when we talk about this model, phase one is a foundation. You're building the foundation for everything above and below, you know, above it. And when I say below, even in the corrective exercise part of it, do they have the right movement pattern? Because it's always going to be quality over quantity. And as soon as something happens and they break the five kinetic chain checkpoints, it's too heavy. They're doing something wrong. It's too advanced. And that's when you need to be able to, on the fly, make those adjustments. Yeah, so well said. We're going to keep coming back to some of these stories and points. So as we move forward here, yeah, I think we've already covered some of the, you know, the reasons why we put this together. So assessments are going to be your blueprint. You have to assess. If you're not assessing, you're guessing. What's the goal? Wendy, you already talked about that. And sometimes the goal that they think isn't truly the goal you know, and you're like, oh, no, it's really this. And then you can always tie these phases of training into each and every one of those goals. We give you the solution table. That is your recipe. I've said the story many times. If I'm going to go cook something, I don't take any ingredients out. I don't take any instruments out. I get the recipe first. That's what NASM provides you is the recipe on how to then create all of these amazing programs. And then real client scenario, we'll, we'll review that and give you an example of a workout that covers all the key points for phase one. Yes. So here's the deal, you know, we wanted to be able, and, and Marty and I have done this before on different types of uh, podcasts. We talk about this a lot in our workshops, but until you really understand maybe what someone's going through, you know, people are always like, well, how do you do it? Like what, you know, what questions are you asking and, and what do you really need in order to develop the right program? Well, again, it starts with the subjective information, which is the information where you're building the rapport, you're learning about your client, you're getting to know a little bit about them. And then you're also setting the stage of, okay, what are their goals? Are these goals something that are achievable in the time frame that they have? So therefore, there's some you know realistic standpoint or uh, points that you need to make with these clients. So we put together a scenario um, based on someone that, that we've, we've worked with and um, wanted to take you through the process of how to get them from start to finish, meaning when I say finish, the finished product of one program the first time you meet them. So imagine that you have like a client, we named him John, 
Um, John is 32. He's a CEO, so very young, but a CEO of a corporate company. And here's a little bit about his history. You need to find out the history. Like this particular individual played basketball in high school and then four years in college. So again, you know that just from the beginning, you know what hit the wear and tear of what basketball consists of. You think about the jumping, you think about the one side dominance, depending on how that is. You're going to want to see what happens in a squat because that's probably how he shoots. In particular, this individual, when he shoots, goes into adduction. And like, so his knees come in together and then he, he shoots. Um, you're not changing that. That is how they are. That is the money shot. That is how they're going to actually do it. So you're going to think about weakness that you're going to be able to control. This person stops sports and all forms of physical activity after sustaining an ACL knee injury that required surgery. Um, this person has not exercised since college but and wants to get back into the gym, has no issues with his knees now, um, but often has lower back and neck pain from how he sits at his job when working on the computer. Now, as I'm reading this, if you're not looking at the PowerPoint, you're probably thinking this is probably every client that comes in, maybe not a basketball player, but complains of low back pain, sits at a computer all day, and also probably is going to have rounded shoulders and a forward head. Um, John does not take any medication, has a clean bill of health um, on his past three, you know, physical that he took three months ago. And what are his goals? His goals is that he, you know, he, he wants to lose 20 pounds. He wants to reduce the nagging pain. Again, we don't we don't deal with pain. It's discomfort, but they're going to call it pain. And he wants to join a basketball rec league to get back into what he enjoys doing within the next four months. Yeah, I mean, as you said, Wendy, you could take away that he was an elite athlete and just put the rest of that in there. And that's going to be, you know, what the majority of clients we face uh, are dealing with. And you know, we both worked in elite sports and this still is what we face. So this is a great example of a case study that should hopefully give everybody here an idea of how we would attack this, but still make it fun, still make it interesting and still make it appropriately challenging. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after you kind of sit down and you, you talk with this client, again, subjective information, you're asking open-ended questions. You know, you're also trying to set the stage for, okay, now we're going to go into some transitional movement, you know, movements, which is when we're, we're starting to do the assessment. So if we move on to the next one, um, we're going to look at the overhead squat results first. Again, this person I know can squat. Marty knows he can squat, you know, obviously think about basketball. He's, you know, yes, he has some nagging issues. However, he's been cleared. There's no issues with his knees. And I think that's a big hangup that people get. Well, he had an ACL injury. Well, yes, he had an ACL injury, but he's got a clean build of health. Just because someone had an injury a long time ago doesn't mean now they're not ready. So he doesn't need to get approval, you know, from anyone. Now, granted, if he was right out of surgery and coming from physical therapy, then yes, he would definitely want to get some kind of documentation on continuation of what this person was doing to help, you know, uh, strengthen, strengthen the different muscles that maybe will track the kneecap. For example, the VMO is a very important muscle when somebody's coming out of an ACL surgery um, because that's a good uh, muscle to help with the traction. So with this, with this particular individual, overhead squats are going to be bilateral, which just means both feet externally rotate or turn out. The left knee only caves in. He has an anterior pelvic tilt. Think about how much he's sitting at a desk. So think about the hip flexors. An excessive forward lean, again, think about the hip flexors and leaning forward at a computer 
and then bilateral. So both arms are falling forward. Okay. So I'm, I'm listing all of this and people are like, man, that's a lot. This is something you are probably going to see on a very, very consistent basis, meaning there's multiple things. So let's take it a little bit, you know, a little bit more advanced. I felt comfortable and Marty has felt comfortable seeing this individual that he could go into a single leg squat. And so therefore I wanted to, to go in and, and dig a little bit deeper. What happens when this person's on one foot? Now, if I saw everything crazy here, feet were out, both knees were in and they had no stability, I would not put this person through a single leg squat. However, the foot turning out was not something that was way out. They weren't you know, facing a different direction. It was slight. The knees that caved in was just slight. But if it was big time, I probably would not do this. However, in this particular individual, he had bilateral foot external rotation. So again, feet turned out and then both not just left side, both knees caved in when you took the stability or the um, the stabilization or the stableness of both feet when we put them on one and he became more instable, like, in, ah, goodness, unstable. Then we noticed that, that because of the lack of balance and everything that those knees were caving in. Yeah. And when you touched on this, but I'll dig a little deeper on this part, we've get uh, sometimes some beginning newer to the industry, personal trainers, and they're like, oh my God, I saw everything. And then they almost don't want to train somebody. Well, this person is probably going to do something with or without you anyways. And the key thing to identify this is to understand a, I'll use the term corrective strategy and or a phase one strategy on how you're learning to address these movement compensations. But with that, this could be a client that I have. And if they're released for fitness, no problem. But what this tells me is what exercises to do but it also tells me from experience what exercises to stay away from right away, right? This may not be somebody that I want to do sprints on a treadmill with. This may be somebody that I'm not going to do jumps with. This is somebody that I may not do single leg squat or lunges with yet. So there's plenty of fitness exercises that they can accomplish just because they have a myriad of movement compensations doesn't mean that they just have to go to like a rehab, right? To fix everything. So don't panic when you see more than one movement compensation, but then that's why we have phase one because there is no running in there. There is no, for the most part, high level jumping. It'd be optional if you're going to do it and you're focusing on the landing. So everything is built in there, but this is why it's so important to assess, start in phase one, earn the right to get out of phase one. But unfortunately, a lot of people come into fitness with all these movement compensations and go right into high intensity exercise, high volume exercise, explosive type stuff. Cause it's the sexier stuff that burns the calories at a higher rate per minute, but that's where they get injured. So this mm -hmm. is why we have you covered with phase one. Well, and I also want to say too, if you do put your client through um, and more advanced, such as a single leg squat or even a split squat stance to see the results, you know, if they are, you know, if the base of support is smaller the results that you get in the split squat and or the single leg squat assessment on the lower body is going to override the overhead squat assessment results. So let me say that again, single leg squat or the split squat, those, if you notice now that the, the arches are caving in, both knees are caving in, but you didn't see that maybe in your overhead squat when they were on two feet, then I'm going to choose the single leg squat to focus on and use those as my markers. But remember, when in a single leg squat or a um, split squat, 
those hands are then now on the hips. So what you're noticing with the arms falling forward and the head, anything in the upper body, that is going to be something like in the overhead squat I would use and then um, use the lower body assessment results. And I think that's something that often people get confused, like, well, which one do I use? They, you know, one saying this and the other one saying that. Um, I would say 90% of the time, if the knees go out during an overhead squat, when you put them on a single leg, their knee will cave in. And that's something that is a very common, you know, like on two feet, it may do this. On one foot, very seldomly, do you see that knee shoot outward? If anything, it comes in because there's some kind of disconnect and dysfunction and weakness in the outer hip that may show different results between those two. So if you see something completely different, don't freak out. That's normal. It's just now you want to dive a little bit deeper. Actually, great point, Wendy. And for those of you just joining us today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, I'm here, Marty Miller, with my co-host, Miss Wendy Batts, and we are going back and diving deep into phase one of the OPT model, stabilization endurance training. So, Wendy, you've done a great job of going over the results, so let's continue to move forward here and see what's next. So, we talked about this in the introduction. We provide a solutions table. You don't have to have all this anatomy memorized, but this is a great way to memorize it. If you have this on your clipboard, if you're always referencing it, eventually you're going to learn what's on here. You know, Wendy and I have been using this exact diagram since what, 2005? <laughs> so Pretty much, yeah. We could, it's in our head, right? It, we know it when we just sleep at night, we think, you know, uh, feet turn out, what's overactive, what's underactive. And you're going to see some commonalities between. It's not, there's not a list of muscles just for feet turn out. There's not a list of muscles for just for knees go in. You're going to see some of the same muscles involved. So that's where you can clean up multiple movement compensations with a similar strategy. So carry this around with you. Don't think you have to memorize it, but definitely reference it. Because if you're not following the solutions table, you may not get as a good a result if you're not hitting every single thing that we have listed in here. And I will say this, this is something that when I mentored a bunch of people um, back in the day, I would tell them when they printed out their, their chart where it said, you know, check yes, no, yes, no of what you're seeing. So when you're doing the overhead squat, again, we have all of these documents listed on nasm.org, or you can find them even in your, your references in the textbook. But when you print out the sheets to write the assessment results down, go ahead and print out a copy of the solutions table. Again, this is something that you can find on NASM. This is stuff that's in within your book. And if you do that with every single individual, then what I've, I, just until you get more comfortable with it and you, you want to know what muscle to, to really focus on, I would suggest this. This is my tip of the day here. Circle everything that you're seeing on this solutions table. You saw feet turn out, circle it. You saw, you know, a left knee cave in or now both knees cave in if you go single leg squat. You saw anterior tilt or low back arch. You saw arms fell forward. Well, then um, when you're circling that and then you're looking at, at like what Marty said, you're going to see multiple muscles that are going to be overactive that are very common. And so then I tell them to take a highlighter and highlight those ones that are the same. And so then you'll do that for every one of them. And you're going to say, oh, look, it was the same on the feet. It was the same on the knees. And it also did something with the hip. Well, OK, if you see three muscles or two muscles even that are, are, are causing two compensations 
and you highlighted that, well, I'm going to do that in the very beginning of my program because I see that that's something that obviously is contributing to two of the compensations that I noted. And then the same thing when you look at underactive muscles. So when you're looking at the solutions table, overactive, that's what you're going to foam roll and stretch, period. That's it. Foam roll, stretch it. Then where it says, you know, underactive, those are the muscles that are allowing that compensation to have. So do the same thing. Highlight the ones that are common and then utilize those like two or three different muscles in your program for phase one to start because you're going to help minimize these compensations from the very, very beginning. And then there's some example exercises on what you can do in order to change that. Yeah. Using this is going to be your best friend to learn it, but also to maximize your results in the most efficient way. And efficient isn't a bad thing. We, we want to be efficient in everything we do. If I can cut out two or three extra stretches that aren't effective, that don't move me towards the quality of movement I'm looking for, great. And if I can find ways to hit the most amount of movement compensations with a few targeted techniques, that's absolutely the best thing to do because you're going to get the best results. And then when people say, well, I can't get this done in 45 minutes an hour. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And so here's an example. And I know this is kind of small. There are a ton of examples in your textbooks, y'all. Ton of examples, meaning that there's some programs. This is actually the same program that we used for the very beginning for this particular individual. So when I said this is a true client, this is truly a true client. And this is something that we got done with showing them how to do certain foam rolling. And, you know, it wasn't like, okay, I didn't have enough time to get it done. We had a 60 minute session and this got done. So Marty, I'll go over just the beginning um, on the warm up. So, you know, if you're looking at the flexibility, I'm going to have them foam roll the calves. Again, think about the feet going out. So I'm really going to target more of the lateral gastroc as well as the adductors because both knees went in and then the lats. Okay. So again, the lats contribute to the arms falling forward and the low back arch or the anterior pelvic tilt. So again, that's one of those muscles that can do two different things. Same thing with the lateral gastroc, because think about where the insertion point is for the short head of the bicep femoris that crosses that knee joint. It's also going to be in a shortened position when the knees cave in. So I'm hitting a lot of different areas based on the comp or, you know, the compensations that I saw and just foam rolling three different things. So then what I'm going to do is as soon as I foam roll, I can foam, I can statically stretch those three and call it a day and pretty much did. So you're going to see that we statically stretched. And again, static stretching should be used for muscles that are overactive to try to reestablish proper link tension relationships. So I'm going to foam roll the calves. I'm going to foam roll the hip flexors because think with an anterior tilt, those hips are going to be shifted forward. So the hip flexors are going to be in a shortened position. And then again, going to focus on the lats. Yeah, it's a great warm up, And as you mentioned, you know, very specific to this client's movement compensations. So then the activation, we get right into core imbalance now. So a floor glute bridge, I promise you, if you ever see a program designed by Wendy Batts, that will be there. And it's, it's hard to argue it. I use it for every single one of my clients as well, because it's a great way to get those, that core stable with a little bit of movement through the hips and activate those glutes. You'll see that the, also there's a side plank there. So now we're hitting the glute medius. So we're really targeting the sagittal and frontal plane with the glute complex, because if they have any movement of their spine, they're going to be weak in their glutes. If their knees are adducting, they're going to be weak in their glutes. So you want to target it if you can. 
the glute max in the, with that glute bridge to get the sagittal plane. And then the side plank gets the glute medius and obviously your core as well in the frontal plane, helping prevent those knees from moving inward. So you'll see here, our sets and reps are two sets of 12 with that four, two, one slow controlled tempo. So there's more time under tension overall, but there's a longer eccentric, which is what you're seeing when someone goes into the squat and they collapse, that is the eccentric motion. So that's why we're spending more time there. With this individual, because they're fit enough, you can go right from the floor bridge right into the side planks. So you don't need to rest in between. And then clearly we know our five kinetic chain checkpoints. So some coaching notes will be to keep the glutes and abs engaged. Then from there, single leg balance with sagittal frontal plane reads. So very similar to what we just talked about, why we'd want to attack both planes of motion. So you're standing on one leg. It could be fully extended or a slight bend in the knee, depending on the individual's ability. But it has to be little to no movement of that stance leg. It's not, am I wobbling? Is my upper body moving back and forth? We have to maintain that perfectly straight leg. Two sets here. You'll see eight reps each leg, very controlled, four, two, one tempo. And then when it says maintain neutral arch, that's of the foot, but we're also thinking of the pelvis at the same time, of course. But we want to keep that arch neutral to really work those deep intrinsic muscles that stabilize the foot. That's critical. That's very important as well. So, Wendy, I'll let you jump back into the next section here with the speed agility quickness. Yeah. So, you know, with the speed agility and quickness, so um, if we actually go back to the, the um, workout here, you're going to see like, you know, that we included, you know, a plyometric exercise. So when we're doing, you know, um, a squat jump with a stabilization hold, that is something that is the reason for the stabilization hold. Marty kind of touched on it in the very beginning. It's where you're going to hold that landing for, you know, three to five seconds. You're going to reestablish if your feet started to turn out or you're noticing that, you know, they're getting out of the five kinetic chain checkpoints, you're going to reset it and repeat, reset, repeat. So I think that's something that's important because we're retraining our brain on how to now do more of an explosive movement, but focus on the landing mechanics. If you hear someone hit the ground and they're hitting it hard and, you know, you, you, you can actually hear it, then they're jarring their spine, they're jarring all the exercise or the, uh, the muscles within that surround the spine and they're doing it incorrectly. They should be like a ninja. They should be landing, you know, basically on the reactive portion of their foot, which is behind the ball of the foot, but in front of the arch. So if you were to take your tennis shoe and bend it where it bends, that's actually where you should be able to land. And if you teach your body how to absorb those forces and be able to get your body lined up, you're going to reduce what we call the amortization phase, which is the time spent on the ground to the time of repeating, especially when you get into power, or if you do want to work with professional basketball players or people that need to be able to, you know, do a very good vertical jump in a very quick manner, and then, um, you know, and, and reduce the chances of injury. So with the feet going out and the knees going in, people are like, oh, they should not do plyometric exercises. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to counter that. This guy's going to play basketball regardless. So if I can work from the very beginning on stretching what's overactive, strengthening what's underactive, and then start working on proper mechanics, then I'm actually going to set him up for better success when he goes out to try to do something because I'm already starting on the reprogramming and I'm putting him in front of the mirror to show him, hey, when you go and jump, I want your knees to stay here. I want your feet to do this because then visually he's hearing me say it, he's seeing it, and then he's feeling it as he's doing it which remember all people learn in different, you know, people learn in different phases. Now I'm making sure that all three of those ways people learn are happening at the same time to have a better response. Yeah. Great, great explanation there, Wendy. 
And, you know, when we get then into the body, the workout with resistance training, that's why we don't say weight training, resistance training, because resistance could be body weight. So you'll see here we have a, a really good basic type of workout laid out. But when you're looking at everything that was just done in that progressive warm up, cable squats row, you're going to see that with Wendy and I, you got triple flexion into triple extension. The cable helps offset the core instability and the glute weakness that two sets of 12 with that slow control tempo that I explained, obviously always watching the five connect chain checkpoints, then keeping in resistance can be your body weight. Now that could be a modified pushup for some people. And that could be, you know, hands on a Smith machine, but this was a perfectly fine for this individual to do a floor pushup. Think of it like a moving plank, right? So we're getting some extra core stabilization there. Same tempo, same set, same rep, zero rest. So we're going to do this in a vertical load. So I'll go cable squat to the floor pushup. Then I'll go into single leg Cobras. So now we're getting some of that single leg activation again, triple extension, um, which is great for the lower body. And then we're getting that retraction depression of the upper body. So first set, you could do left leg. Second set, you could do right leg. That's how I like to do it. I want to try to keep all 12 repetitions on one leg. You could switch at six if you needed to. And then something as basic and simple as a step up to scaption. Just the height of the box has to be no higher than where their knee be at 90 degrees but it's okay to start lower if that's what they can transition and control. So same uh, acute variables there. And then at the top, we want to finish strong and at the top. So squeeze glutes at the top, floating foot in triple flexion. So you're coming up where the knee is at the same height as the hip and you're in dorsal flexion. And then the key thing on that is controlling it for those four seconds or close to four seconds as you bring the foot back to the ground. And Wendy, then I'll let, yep, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think that's, that's the really, you know, we, we think that step ups are pretty easy. And so in the very beginning, when people are like, oh, let's step ups, you know, and, I, and I've done this with trainers, I want you to show me how to do a step up to balance. And then I want you to add like a curl to press or scaption in this case, or whatever it is. And they'll just, you know, push off the back leg, they'll go up, they'll hold it, they know to go into triple flexion, because I'm standing right there, and then they plop back down. And when I say plop back down, Marty, like you said, there's no control. But if you go down eccentrically for four seconds and even just have the tip of your toe on the opposite um, leg that's actually going to touch the ground, barely touch and then come right back up, you're constantly keeping the, the leg that is on the box, um, constantly keeping pressure on that. So think about the time under tension, going down slow, holding your body weight. If you do have any weights in your hand, whatever that external weight load is as well, and then they have to come up, maintain proper alignment, proper um, positioning of the foot and ankle, squeezing the glutes, making sure that they're in proper positioning, and then repeating that 12 to 20, because think about the rep range here. In this case, it's 12, but they're doing that 12 times on one leg and then maintaining that. By the time they're done, their glutes are trashed, their quads are on fire, and you know we're actually working on what, what muscles we know are weak because of what we highlighted and circled when we looked at that solutions table. So as Marty said, well, this is more basic or these are basic exercises. Well, it's very going to be very challenging for this person because we're hitting those muscles that are very, very weak. And as Marty said, with that vertical load and limited rest, he's doing, you know, a full body, basically, you know, a total body with the squat to row. Then he's doing a pushup four to one tempo for 12 and adding the plus at the top, then doing, you know, we're going into um, obviously back and then we're doing um, shoulders and, and legs. This is a full body 
little rest. So they're going to be burning a lot of calories doing that. And they could do it two or three times. Now, again, this is something that we did the very first program. So he's we had to teach how to do this. We could have easily added another set if we knew he could have handled it. We could have easily done a client's choice. But right now the client's choice is, is this ever going to end because it's hard and he's tired? And then at that point, of course, Marty, you know, we're going to finish with the cool down, which is basically a repeat of what he did in the very beginning. We could have changed it, but you know what? Why change something that we know they need? So it's really up to you on how to do this. But if you want to take a picture of this, you know, or you want to watch this again and again and again, because you're going to listen to what Marty and I are saying, try this yourself, look at the tempos, really focus on your movement patterns. And it's totally harder than people give it credit for. No, it's a great workout. Looks basic until you try it, especially with the proper tempo, proper muscle activation, and those rest intervals. And again, you could do cardio afterwards. There's a lot of other things you can do, but basic isn't always basic when you try it yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Wendy, from the takeaway is not surprising. You and I are always going to put assessments. We'll give us our direction. No guesswork here. Then the self-myofascial technique and static stretching, we have to hit in the warm-up for overactive tissue. And then we repeat that in the cool down of all phases to reset the body. Active, activate underactive muscles, right? It's not about just exercising randomly. It's a specific targeted approach that we calm down certain muscles and tune up other muscles to reestablish that proper human movement and then put them in the right form, right? And you know the exercise, they have to be done correctly, right? You have to do the exercise properly or you're only training your body to continue that faulty movement pattern. And then the cute variables are the absolute game changer here, right? Everyone can do a step up, but not everyone can do a step up with the five kinetic chain checkpoints with that proper form with the slow controlled tempo. So those are the key takeaways that'll bring phase one back to life for you. If you've kind of gone away from it a little bit, see the value and it will absolutely set you up for success with any other phase you're going to try to get to. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say this too, when you start undulating, meaning when somebody gets up to phases three, four, and five, coming back to phase one within that week, especially if they're a client that comes three times a week, maybe doing, you know, a phase, you know, four on Monday, a phase one on Wednesday and a phase four again on Friday, if that's what you want to do. Um, but I don't think that phase one and phase two, once someone quote passes and graduates, sometimes it becomes underutilized again. This remember is your foundation to make sure all muscles are working at the right time in the right plane of motion in order to make you successful. So it's okay to revisit when needed. And I would tell people to revisit way more than you think you need it because it, it also brings your, your uh, kind of your mind and body connection back into reality. So when you start lifting really heavy loads, you're prepared for it. Yeah. Great points. I use it as a warm up, even if I'm in different phases, but Maybe that's another master instructor roundtable we can talk about. Wendy is the advanced application of phase one. Oh, I like it. We appreciate you guys reaching out. And, and like I said, a lot of this kind of triggered when Marty and I were seeing some of this with some of our veteran trainers were asking questions. And then obviously we have a lot of newbies that have just become um, part of the NASM family. So we wanted just to kind of bring it back to the forefront to say, 
phase one really is an unbelievable phase if you utilize the acute variables and do things correctly. So if you have any questions about what we discussed today or if there are any um, topics that you would love for Marty and I to cover, please email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org or you can always find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And our producer's putting my information right on cue here, dr.martymiller72 for Instagram. And then email marty.miller at nasm.org. So Wendy, great information. Glad you found this topic. Thank you for pulling this together. And for all of you that joined us this week on the Master Instructor Roundtable, keep the information, keep the requests coming. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Mm -hmm.